I always look forward to opportunities to to share the word of God with 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 people, and I, and I'm thankful for this opportunity. So today, uh, I want to talk to you for a bit uh, from the book of Matthew, and I've kind of given a tongue-in-cheek title to today's message, Salt Life. Now, this is something that we see on the rear glasses of a number of vehicles. Uh, I can remember first seeing this as Salt Life, then it's taken on a life of its own, where you have different expressions of it, uh, so forth and so on. So this is a nod to the vacation season. Uh, and the freedom that we have to, to engage in uh, going to the beach and, and things like that. But it's also a lead-in to this passage. Uh, this passage is very familiar. Uh, it talks about uh, you and I being the salt of the earth. Now, there is something else related to this passage that many of you may not be aware of. This particular passage of Scripture played a decisive role in the founding of this country. I'll make that a little bit clearer later on. So there are numerous connections that come about with this particular passage. Uh, So Matthew uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. uh, You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor can people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And what I want to focus on today is not the, the inner workings of what, it, what salt is and what light is. Um, I am not a qualified chemist, so I can't relate that information, okay? But I will point us to the Word of God. Jesus' words were very specific. You are salt. You are salt light. This is not something we aspire to achieve. It is not a goal to work toward. This is who we are. It's very clear. Now keep in mind that as Jesus delivered this sermon, he was sitting up on a hillside talking to a group of people that he had just characterized in a unique way as those in poverty, those who were grieving, those who were struggling to live out their relationship with God. And for these people, he reminds them that God will fulfill these things in your life. So in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus sets forth his vision for the kingdom of God. His vision for a people, a nation. A vision characterized, that characterized a group of people as those in poverty, grieving. Those who may or may not exercise self-control. 
those who seek justice, righteousness, mercy, purity, peace. And you're thinking, how in the world can a people such as these impact the world for the glory of God? Especially when the world is either indifferent to them, misunderstands them, or in some occasion, uh, occasions even persecutes them. Keep in mind, this is the scenario. Keep in mind, Jesus does not say that you can become or you will become salt and light. He says you are salt and light. So how do we, how do we engage the Scripture? How do we embrace Scripture in such a way that it becomes a part of our, our lives and we begin to live that out? Probably one of the best ways to approach this is by way of example. And I want to give you some examples of individuals who have embraced Jesus' teachings here. The first example is Jose Henriquez. Anyone heard of him? Not a name that we hear on a regular basis, but I suspect that you have heard of him. Jose was one of... 33 men trapped 2,000 feet below the earth in a collapsed mine in San Jose for more than 52 days. What makes him so special other than being trapped below the ground for that length of time? Well, in these 33 men, Jose embodied what it means to be salt and light. He lived the salt life. So Jose, speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, said uh, that, he, that we, he and his fellow miners, realized that they had only one alternative, and that alternative was God himself. He says that we were different creeds, different churches, so I got them together. I brought them together in a circle. And I made sure that each and every one could pray and could participate in prayers. And as we prayed, we began to know the presence and blessing of God among us in this mind. We were strengthened. Our spirits were revived. Yet we also had some serious problems. Very little food. Little water. So we decided that unless we prayed to God and asked God to do a miracle, there would be no way out for us. And that became our daily hope. That became our confidence we began to pray that he would do a miracle among us and solve our problems. Henriquez recalled the tensions that, he fa that they faced in the mines. Uh, the tensions were so intense sometimes that fights broke out among the miners. Yet Henriquez did not take time to talk about these 
fights these tensions. He talked at length, at length about how they were resolved. He said, this is a democratic community. Not a secular democracy, but a praying democratic community. And he said, God began to reconcile us. So, we'd get together with each other. Even those that we had tensions with, and, Henry, and Jose said that I would force them to make up, to shake hands. Reminds me a lot of growing up when I and my sisters or some of the, my cousins would get into it. One of the things that my parents and grandparents did was make us say that we're sorry. Make us hug each other. They would make us reconcile. So Jose forced these guys to, to shake hands. He said, we built community. We maintained peace. We experienced the power and presence of God. He said that a turning point for the miners was the delivery of small Bibles through the tubes uh, rescue workers used to provide food, medicine, supplies, and entertainment. There was a Bible for each man with his name in it. In fact, each man brought his Bible with him to the surface. But as each man made their way to the surface in a rescue, Jose strongly encouraged them to engage in one final act before ascending from darkness into light. He encouraged them to pause, to pray as they entered the rescue craft that would shuttle them to freedom. Although some folks just wanted to dive in and, and just get to the top. His voice was a constant reminder. Hold on a minute. Stop. Pray first. We're going to pray first. Jose embodied what it means to be salt and light. Let me give you a second example. Another individual that you may or may not have heard of. His name is Jimmy Collins. I had the privilege of meeting him uh, a few years back when he was giving a talk to a group of faculty and students. Now, Jimmy Collins is retired president of Chick-fil-A. He's also the founder and president of Creative Fellowship. So he was giving a talk on leadership one, uh, to us one day. And he began to recall one of his experiences. Um, part of his job was that he would go around to the various Chick-fil-A stores and just show up, go in, sit down, talk to folks, talk to the workers, have a meal, and then make his way on. And he said he had a habit of doing one particular thing, which kind of has a streak of, of meanness in it at first glance, but... Uh, he entered one particular store, uh, went in, made an order, uh, received his food, uh, went out, sat down, ate it, and he was talking to people, and then he began his inspection of the store. And you know how it is when, when the, the big bosses come in and begin to inspect your work. Uh, 
the situation is a bit tense, right? You don't know what to expect. Will they like it? Will they not like it? Well, Jimmy said that he looked around and, and said, who's responsible for this? And he said he could see the eyes of the workers, the fear. He said, who's responsible for this? No one answered. He knew that someone was. Finally, someone mustered the courage to speak. He said, I am. Then his, he said his entire demeanor changed. He said, I want you to know this is the best job I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the way it should be done. You need to teach that to these other folks. And I sat there, wow. Having been on the receiving end of many a visit by a boss, I don't remember any encounter like that. I sure did wish I'd had one or two and hoped that I could look forward to more. But folks, when it becomes our station in life, our part of life, to be a stabilizing force, to bring balance, to bring hope and peace, sometimes we just need to just say, call people out and say, hey, you got it right. Anyone can point out the mistakes. Anyone can point out the problems. But it is that rare individual that will celebrate the successes. That's what it means to be salt and light. You know, Jose Henriquez brought stability, brought godly influence to a group of people trapped underground. Jimmy Collins spread it to numerous individuals. And hopefully many of them, like myself, carried it away. That's what it means to be salt and light. Let me give you a third example. Again, someone you may or may not know. A lady by the name of Antoinette Tuff. On that particular day, Antoinette Tuff was going through one, probably one of the worst experiences in her life. She had lost her husband recently, and with the loss of her husband and some other items, uh, she was now in the process of losing her car, her only means to get to work. She didn't have the $15,000 to pay the car off, but she decided not to give up. She says that her faith guided her through the scariest moment in her life, which wasn't the loss of her husband or the impending loss of her car. The scariest day of her life was August 20th, 2013. She was working in the front office of the Ronald E. McNair Discovery Learning Academy in Decatur, Georgia. As her workday unfolded, 
a 20-year-old young man, Michael Hill, stormed in with a loaded AK-47 and 500 rounds of ammunition. When recalling this experience to reporters, she said that all of us have a purpose in our life. And God prepares us for that purpose. That day was very important to me and every word that proceeded out of my mouth at, at that point in time could be life or death. Not only for me, but for Michael Hill and for everyone else in that building. And I knew that at this moment, I had to make sure that everything I heard from God was what came out of my mouth. So while Antoinette was on the phone talking to the 911 operator, she calmed Michael Hill down, defused the situation. She became the light that he needed. She became the light that those 900 plus souls in that building needed. No one was injured. And while being publicly recognized later by everyone from her pastor, her neighbors, to strangers she'd never met, to the President of the United States, she thanked and glorified God. Salt and light. Salt life. It's good to be on the beach, but it's good to be in the presence of God. One last example that I'd like to share with you. An individual by the name of John Winthrop is why this particular passage played a founding role in the establishment of our nation. John Winthrop gave a speech one day as he was crossing the ocean from England to Massachusetts on a ship named Arabella. And in that speech or sermon, he mentioned the phrase, a city on a hill. You see, John Winthrop was one of the Puritan leaders that had embraced the idea that this new colony, this new community, this new nation was going to be the fulfillment of this passage in Matthew to be a city set on a hill. So this colony was established with a purpose. A purpose known to its supporters and critics alike. A purpose that made them a witness for the entire world. John Winthrop knew what Jesus meant. He expected his community to embody it. 
Jesus' words, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our purpose. That purpose puts us on display. Because we set the standard for community life. You see, Jesus, John Winthrop, you and I as readers of sacred text should be such that not only do we set the standard, but we also draw people to us. See, the images of salt and light represent not only our individual effects, but also our corporate effects. We are one among many. We are the many who follow the one, Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? We're at the so what moment. What do we take home? What do we take away? In other words, how does this passage inform the way that we should live our lives before the Lord Jesus Christ and before everyone else? First, we recognize that um, though we may not experience the same circumstances as the examples I mentioned, we have our own unique circumstances. Yet the challenge... It's the same. Be who you are. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are salt and light. So challenge number one, be who you are. So our goal here is stability, consistency. As some would say, don't overdo it. But when you do, Shine your brightest. Don't hold back. Now, if we're going to do that, folks, we're going to take a risk. The risk is our good works. The risk is the way that we glorify God in everyday life. These risks will make a difference. So let me give you some guidance for these risks. Create something good. When you, when you take a risk, create something good. Seek the, the healing, the liberation, the freedom of others so that they can enjoy the same freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus. Do your best to bring goodness into everyday life. There's enough negativity. Call someone out. Who's responsible for this? Then encourage them. Keep on doing it. And if necessary, ask them, show me how I can do it. Bring hope. But when you bring hope, bring hope alive. Bring a living hope. Lean forward. Look ahead. Persevere. Don't 
give up. Don't give in. But also keep in mind that doing the right thing. Now, we talk a lot about doing the right thing. Let me kind of step back to Jimmy Collins for a moment. He had something to say about this that is really important. He, he, he encouraged us to always do the right thing. But there's only two reasons to do the right thing. Number one, it's the right thing. Number two, and since it's the right thing, it's the necessary thing. So do the right thing, but realize that there's no guarantee of a positive outcome. Since that is the case, don't worry about the few who resist. Be who you are. Be stable. Be consistent. Take the risk. That's what we take away from this. That is God's plan for his kingdom. That is his vision for kingdom life. Salt life. I'd like to close by reading Matthew 5, 13 through 16 again. But this time I'd like to read it from the Cotton Patch Version. Uh, Clarence Jordan, um, also a, a, a resident of Georgia, uh, put together uh, what he calls the Cotton Patch Version. Uh, if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to. Uh, so... Jordan's uh, version of Matthew 5.13 is like this. You all are the earth's salt. But now if you just sit there and don't salt, how will the world ever get salted? You'll be so worthless that you'll be thrown out and trampled on by the rest of society. You all are the world's light. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Have you ever heard of anybody turning on a light and covering it up? Don't you fix it so that it will light up the whole room? Well then, since you are God's light, which has to be turned on, go ahead and shine. Shine so clearly that when your conduct is observed, it will plainly be the work of your spiritual father. Salt life. Enjoy the beach. Enjoy the vacation. But enjoy the relationship which, that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ.